From the garden level of Harvard Medical School's historic Vanderbilt Hall in Boston, this is Think Research, a podcast that discusses the stories behind medical research. I'm Abby, your host. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. As an undergraduate at Caltech studying biology, Dr. Alex Lin couldn't see how the chemistry, physics, and calculus he was taking would help him. He decided to take time off from school and focus on his DJ business. Things were going well until he had a slow period. The gigs weren't coming. Then he was faced with an ultimatum from his parents, find a job or move back home to New Jersey. After spending several years in the warmth of Southern California, a move back east was out of the question. Luckily, that night, a friend called and said that he was starting graduate school and there was a job opening at his company and would Alex want to apply. Needing a job badly, Alex went for the interview. Alex got the job as a research technician at Huntington Medical Research Institutes. Working with Dr. Brian Ross, he saw how chemistry, physics, and calculus fit together with his biology background. Using MR spectroscopy, they studied patients who had been in car accidents and had severe brain injuries. Dr. Lin was amazed that he could use chemistry to predict whether people would wake up from a coma and their future condition without surgery. This direct translation of research to patients was what he had been looking for. Dr. Lin finished his bachelor's degree, went on to complete a PhD at Caltech, and spent 11 years as the director of clinical services at Huntington Medical Research Institutes. Dr. Alexander Lin is the director of the Center for Clinical Spectroscopy in the Department of Radiology at Brigham and Women's Hospital and an assistant professor of radiology at Harvard Medical School. Hello, Dr. Lin. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Can you tell us how you got started in your field and a little bit about your background? Sure. I was very, very lucky um, to land uh, right off my undergraduate studies uh, in the field of MR, magnetic resonance spectroscopy, which is a, a method by which you measure chemistry in the brain and other parts of the body for use for clinical diagnosis. And I think certainly as an undergraduate, I was a bit short-sighted in my, my ways and coming out of Caltech. Uh, I had decided, uh, and, you know, talk about short sightedness, uh, that a career as a DJ would be my uh, <laughs> <laughs> career perfect. of choice. Uh, my parents were uh, obviously very displeased <laughs> at that notion. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd basically I remember we, we had you know, done some gigs that month and, you know, but weren't doing as well as we should have. And I remember calling my parents and saying, uh, you know, I need a little extra money for rent. Uh, can you spot me some? And they said, well, if you you know, don't get yourself a real job, by the end of this month, you're coming home to live in New Jersey. And I was living in LA at the time. That was just something that was unfathomable to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it, it just, it's remarkable. That night, I received a call from a friend of mine who said, hey, I'm, I'm going off to UCLA to do my uh, PhD. Uh, there's an opening in this company uh, called Huntington Medical Research Institutes that's affiliated with Caltech and USC. Uh, would you like to come check it out? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, why, I got to get a job, right? So uh, I remember sitting in that meeting, meeting Brian Ross, who's, and you know, turns out I hadn't, I mean, I had no idea at the time, is one of the world leaders in uh, MR spectroscopy. He basically uh, developed, you know, he, he's won, you know, awards for, for his work in, in this field. And he showed me those cases where 
you can use spectroscopy to diagnose cancer without having to do any surgery. You could use spectroscopy to diagnose, uh, you know, to predict outcome in uh, these patients uh, after traumatic brain injury. And, and that really just blew my mind. I had no idea that chemistry could be used in this way. What especially appealed to me was the kind of clinical translational aspect of it. At that time, as undergraduate, I didn't know better. Um, I was just not satisfied, I guess, with the benchtop work that we were doing. And, and you know, again, being very short-sighted and not recognizing the, the value of it, I found that you know, clinical um, applications was something that would be a, a more uh, direct line into to research. And that really fascinated me. It was the first time I got a chance to work with patients and was hooked ever since. Can you tell us about your current research work? Sure. Uh, so basically, it's anything that involves uh, the use of the uh, MR spectroscopy technology, what we like to call actually a virtual biopsy. Uh, it allows us to get at uh, the underlying pathophysiological changes that occur uh, in the brain or other parts of the body. So we're now looking at uh, a number of different diseases, um, anywhere from uh, brain cancer to uh, psychiatric diseases like schizophrenia, Alzheimer's disease, uh, metabolic disorders, but our big focus has really been on traumatic brain injury. The chemistry of, the, of a brain uh, is going to be very different, uh, whether you're looking uh, at different areas, uh, for example, where a brain tumor is, chemistry is going to be very different from a normal brain. And using those differences, we get at diagnostics, uh, and as, as well as prognostics, you know, looking at outcome. And that's really where I think um, was how I got into traumatic brain injury. We were doing some work uh, at the time uh, back at uh, Caltech and actually Huntington Medical Research Institutes uh, with Brian Ross, where we were looking at uh, outcome in uh, severely brain injured patients. Uh, these are patients that were in car accidents. And it really blew my mind that we could use chemistry to predict, uh, A, um, who would wake up out of the coma, and B, what kind of condition they'd be in. Because you can, un you can measure things like, for example, neuronal health uh, without having to do any kind of invasive surgery. And that, to me, just was, was mind-blowing. And after coming to, to Boston, um, you know, there were some incredible opportunities here to be able to explore traumatic brain injury in much more detail. Who are the patients in your study? So for our traumatic brain injury studies, we're really blessed to, to study just a, a whole gamut of, of, of different types of brain injury. We first started in uh, looking at soldiers uh, coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan uh, who had... Um, not only traumatic brain injury, but also post-traumatic stress. And the problem is the uh, symptoms of the two are very difficult to kind of separate out clinically. And so, again, by using the brain chemistry, you can imagine a psychological injury is going to look very different from physical injury. And so uh, that was our, our kind of first starting point. From there, uh, we had a chance. I, had, I met uh, Bob Stern and Marty Shenton, uh, who were working... Uh, on uh, NFL players, and that has become now kind of one of our major uh, topics, looking at this problem of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which you hear about a lot in the news. Uh, and we were part of the um, large R01 study, the, the tech study to first look at chemistry changes in these uh, football players, and now it's become a, a multi-site U01 study uh, that we're really excited about. You know, there, there are a number of different groups looking at it, Boston University being one of them, but also, of course, here at Harvard, the, uh, I'm involved uh, in the neuroimaging side of the uh, football players' health study, and so that's really exciting. We also have studies ongoing in soccer players. Um, we have a, a study also looking at Harvard College students, uh, and there, um, it's very interesting. We're looking at some of the gender differences uh, in concussion. That's with uh, Dr. Inga Korda. 
uh, where we're looking to see, you know, are there differences in how me men and women suffer from uh, concussions. And so anywhere from, you know, uh, professional play down to collegiate level and then eventually hopefully down to, to kids where ultimately uh, that, that really makes a difference. What have been the initial findings? So uh, in, through our, our different studies, um, for example, in our soccer players, uh, what we found uh, was that even subconcussive uh, injuries, for example, like heading of the soccer ball, were causing changes in chemistry in the brain. Um, and that's something that we, we didn't expect. And certainly, as you can imagine, in our NFL players, we see some very dramatic changes. Uh, we've published one study already um, looking at the preliminary data from that study where we see changes in brain metabolites, in particular one called glutamate, which is a, an important neurotransmitter in the brain. And one of the thoughts is that uh, we know that when glutamate levels become too high in the brain, which occurs after each concussion, uh, that <clears throat> those uh, levels become excitotoxic. They start killing off brain cells. And so if we potentially could treat um, these players and drive down those glutamate levels, then perhaps we might have a way to prevent the, the neurodegeneration that occurs later on. There are a number of different changes that you see um, with the traumatic brain injury. So what we can do is we can measure the different levels of different chemicals in the brain. Uh, one of them, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, looks at neuronal health, which is N-acetylspartate. And we know that those levels decrease uh, after a brain injury, as you can imagine. Uh, with uh, the damage that occurs in the brain, your neuronal health is going to decrease. We also see changes in other chemicals like uh, choline, for example, which is a marker for membrane turnover. And so we see damaged tissue that's evident uh, from the MR spectroscopy measurements. And I have to say, you know, this is all very highly comp complementary to the existing body of work that looks at uh, some of the morphological changes that have occurred uh, with diffusion tensor imaging and um, uh, other MRI methods that have also shown uh, changes in the brain as well. The holy grail for us right now is to be able to diagnose CTE while the player is alive. Right now, the, the diagnosis comes post-mortem, uh, which is unfortunately a little bit too late to help treat these guys. Um, and, and, you know, the, the things that they're going through, you've, uh, those people who've seen the movie Concussion, um, you know, the, the, the kind of difficulties that the players have are, are issues that we really want to be able to uh, treat. Um, and hopefully with these chemicals as potential biomarkers for disease, we will then be able to uh, monitor treatments and determine which is the one that are, are most efficacious. Also, you know, looking at um, the overall idea of concussion, um, you know, I've got kids of my own that play sports. Uh, uh, the idea of can we look at these same biomarkers in children and determine, you know, which uh, which of those uh, that are injured, um, you know, maybe shouldn't go on to play or, or those that – that, are, uh, that actually are fine to go on to play, uh, return to play decision making, and, and those kind of uh, concepts are, are all things that we're hoping to achieve with these biomarkers. Can you speak a little bit more about the work you do around schizophrenia? Sure. Uh, that's some, some really interesting work that we've done uh, with, uh, with Bob Bacarly, who unfortunately uh, recently passed away, uh, and as well as with Marty Shenton. Uh, they have been the, the really two top people in the field looking at schizophrenia. And there we're looking at very specific uh, biochemical changes. Uh, in particular with, with Dr. Shenton, we're looking at inflammation as a potential mechanism for um, schizophrenia. And there we're measuring chemicals, for example, glutathione, which is an antioxidant in the brain. Uh, it gives us a direct line into whether or not um, there is inflammation occurring uh, in the brain, 
with uh, Dr. McCarley's study uh, looking at chemicals such as, again, glutamate uh, as an excitatory neurotransmitter is, we know, to be you know, off balance uh, in schizophrenia. And uh, we also look at uh, GABA, which is an uh, inhibitory neurotransmitter, which uh, also uh, is known to, to be um, dysfunctional in schizophrenia. And so the question is, how do these two chemicals play out uh, within that population? Um, can we perhaps use them as early predictors uh, for outcome? And there was a, a very interesting case uh, in our preliminary data where we found um, you know, the majority of the subjects showed these decreases in, uh, um, in GABA and increases in glutamate as we expected, but it's one outlier was, was out there and, and clearly uh, didn't show the same pattern and uh, turned out you know, the guy was faking his symptoms. So uh, it's, it's really kind of a, a neat uh, example of how we, we always like to say chemistry doesn't lie. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting, uh, MR spectroscopy actually preceded MRI uh, as a technology uh, way back in the, the 40s and 50s. Uh, people were first looking at chemistry or what they called uh, nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy or NMR spectroscopy. Uh, so the technology is, is, is incredibly old, but it's really never made it into clinical practice. Uh, you know, we would love to see these uh, diagnostic techniques be able to be used in patients. Um, and the company that, that spun on my lab, BrainSpec, um, is really the idealization of that. Uh, we really want to develop software that would make it very easy for radiologists to be able to use this technology. Right now, Basically, you kind of need a, someone like me, a, either a physicist or a spectroscopist, to interpret the data. Um, and what we think with BrainSpec is we can really replace that uh, with, you know, very user-friendly software, uh, as well as some some very sophisticated uh, machine learning algorithms that allow us to arrive at that um, diagnostic potential uh, by measuring the chemistry in the brain in, in different diseases. So, for example, in cancer. Uh, there's a very specific uh, biomarker called 2-hydroxyglutarate that we're looking at that is a 100% uh, specific biomarker for, for, for uh, cancer. Uh, and so that gives us uh, a window into disease that would be obviously uh, clinically important. And once we realized that we could measure this chemical, uh, a lot of the clinicians started ordering uh, you know, these exams. You know, can you measure 2-HG in this patient and that patient? And uh, my lab was actually completely inundated <laughs> by that. And that's when we came to realize, look, we needed some way to automate this uh, data processing so that uh, you know, we could be able to get uh, a turnaround time that's much, much quicker. Uh, so you know, what would, would take sometimes days of data analysis, we've now cut down to several minutes. Uh, and that's where BrainSpec comes in to, to provide highly accurate and rapid diagnosis for brain cancer. Brigham iHub uh, helped support development of this this company out of uh, uh, the of the Brigham, um, and that it's been incredibly helpful to us to have that kind of support. Uh, you have people, you know, scientists like myself, really have no business uh, acumen, <laughs> and what they did was really they brought together people from Harvard Business School, um, you know, Harvard Medical School, as well as even um, art, uh, artists from uh, Mass Arts. Uh, to try to put together uh, a um, pitch for developing uh, some some products, and from that really arose uh, the BrainSpec company. It's been really exciting. Um, BrainSpec uh, has participated uh, in a number of different uh, competitions uh, throughout Boston. I think this is one of the things that uh, should be emphasized: is that you know the the tremendous amount of resources that are available here in Boston. 
so uh, we participated and won um, the Tufts 100K uh, venture competition, uh, which then led to um, uh, finalists in the Harvard um, venture capital, uh, and that you know gives you some funding to kind of get the company started. We also were uh, were a part of Mass Challenge uh, and TechStars, which are great incubator programs. Uh, and then most recently finished uh, a Philips um, incubator program uh, that really helped us bring in the, the medical side of the software development. Um, and uh, the, at the end, uh, we uh, just closed out um, our funding from the uh, Google uh, machine learning competition, uh, which we won, uh, and that's now going to support the the company in, in developing um, software that we're then hoping to sell to both pharma and uh, and uh, hospitals. Hopefully, uh, we'll start seeing this technology being applied more and more uh, in clinical practice. Uh, I think that the the future for the technology, particularly as other complementary technologies evolve with it, uh, spectroscopy seems to get better. So one of the things we're really excited about is the Brigham just got a new seven Tesla scanner that is now more than two, two and a half times more powerful than the current uh, standard of three Tesla. And uh, that, you know, uh, for us, opens up a lot of new doors in terms of technological development. Uh, and we're really excited to see how we can push those boundaries uh, of the technology to, to allow us to get more better diagnoses and, and, and better prognostics uh, using the, those the chemical measurements. So uh, I think improving the technology will be one major step. And then, again, uh, being able to translate this technology, apply it in different diseases to see, uh, you know, can we make Alzheimer's diagnosis um, more accurate? Uh, can we help out those people uh, with earlier detection of cancer um, are all kind of goals that we're, we're looking forward to, to be able to apply this uh, technology to. You know, I think uh, programs like Harvard Catalyst are, are really essential uh, for supporting uh, these, these research projects. Uh, asked earlier, how did I, I really get into this um, research? It all wouldn't have happened. The very first grant I got was a Harvard Catalyst pilot grant uh, for, you know, 50000 to look at brain injury in soldiers. Uh, and that kind of evolved into um, looking at NFL players as well. So that helped provide the preliminary funds that allowed us to get the preliminary data to then apply for an R01, which then went to a U01 and et cetera. Uh, and so um, definitely uh, it's a resource that's extremely valuable to uh, new investigators uh, coming here. Uh, and it's something that, and it also, you know, the idea of bringing together people uh, and being able to connect them in different ways. I, I think there's just a tremendous amount of resources here in, in Boston. And uh, unfortunately, there's often these ivory towers that kind of uh, separate us from places like BU and, 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 and Harvard. Uh, but Harvard College allows you to break down those barriers. Uh, and without a doubt, there, I wouldn't be where I am today without the great collaborators uh, that I have um, across uh, uh, Harvard, Brigham, and, and Boston University, and the whole Boston area. Uh, there's just uh, incredible resources out there that we can take advantage that Harvard Catalyst helps provide. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Lin. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you very much. Next time on Think Research.
At this moment, we have this unique opportunity that you were describing to really try to understand a much more varied number of questions because all of the things that we can incorporate into our analysis has grown dramatically. Dr. Elliot Antman, the Associate Dean for Clinical and Translational Research at Harvard Medical School, sits down with Dr. Brian Healy, Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School, to talk about precision medicine and the future of biomedical research. Harvard Catalyst Think Research is supported by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. Subscribe to Think Research on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about our podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, visit our website, www.catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch. Thank you.